0: Ah, uh, Welcome again. <laughs> Here we are. The 1% in recovery podcast, successful gamblers and alcoholics stopping addiction. You know, you need to laugh every day. You need to work hard and you need to love as much as you can, because if you're laughing, working and loving, that's a great day. That's part of recovery. That's just part of being success. If you're struggling with the steps, frustrated, stop. There is a solution. Now out the 90-day 12 Steps Road to Freedom. It's a video online course. I rewrote the 12 steps, have three questions to each step. They're innovative, creative, and simplified. Also with that recovery coaching throughout those 90 days to get you to the other side. Today, we are going to be talking on the West Coast with Dr. Timothy Fong at UCLA. How are you doing, doctor? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me, Hugo. (laughs) All right, tell us one thing you
1: love. Well, I love tons of things, but probably one thing on my mind today, uh, I love uh, tennis. I absolutely love tennis. I play tennis probably about four to five times a week. I started playing about 10 years ago uh, as a direct answer to... I uh, working too much, you know. I just felt like I was just, you know, doing too much work and not getting enough exercise, and I needed something fresh. And I found tennis, and it wasn't just a sport I love. It's but it's all the social connections attached to the sport. Uh, you can play tennis by yourself and have a great time, or you can play tennis with really anyone and not even say anything, but still have a really strong social connection. So I love everything about tennis and and racket sports. So thanks for asking.
0: Uh, to me, there's nothing like sports. You know, you get those healthy endorphins. You know, me and a couple of buddies, we used to play a lot of three-on-three basketball. And I thought when we turned 40, I'm 56. When I turned 40, that uh, it's going to be the end of competitive basketball. You can shoot some hoops. But mm-hmm. then one of the guys found out the senior games, over 50, where out in near uh, southwest Utah, near Zion National Park, and you know, they have this Huntsman Senior Games and they have all kinds. It's almost like the Olympics and we do three on three and you can we can yeah. still and there's nothing like a good competitive tournament, some games just to get. I think we should all be challenged and kind of be pushed. Absolutely. Do, do they lower the rim there for the older adults or no. do they keep it? We just, there's just no dunking, you know, okay. all those are in our past memory bank. That's true. But let's jump into the questions. We see drugs. Drugs are classified, just so everyone knows, with a schedule one through five. This was developed in the early nineteen seventies. Currently, a lot of there's a lot of talk about fentanyl. Fentanyl is like a class two. You know, heroin's gonna be a, a class one. And it's also based the lower the number, that means it's more highly addictive, and it's also has less medical use. So but we don't do this with behaviors, doctor. And, you know, we're thinking about it. Now, we talk now a lot about gambling and, you know, the the addiction of gambling. And, you know, we also there's also a lot of talk about porn and food. If you were looking at a scale just like that, a one through five, and I'll put in my suggestions after you give your opinion where do you think gambling would, la- would end up and how highly addictive is when they start talking about free bets, you know, just getting that hook into you and then how many people they can get?
1: You know, this is an amazing question. Uh, this is the first time I think we've actually thought about it this way. So you're absolutely right. The, you, know, the, you know, the DEA schedule, schedule one through five is based on, as you said, medical value combined with uh, addiction quality combined with utility. You put that all together, and when we look in the gambling side, for instance, as I said slot machines versus poker versus craps versus blackjack versus betting on sports. Those are the games itself. Then you actually have the technology to play those games. So the question really is, are the games themselves inherently more addictive, or is it the technology that makes and enhances that level of addiction? Well, we start first with just the games themselves. So back in the 90s, when I first started getting into gambling addiction research, the thought was, and I don't don't know if you remember that, when video poker machines came out, people called them, quote, the crack cocaine of gambling. People said these are more addictive than traditional poker or even slot machines. They thought it would become more addictive because, number one, the speed at which you can play, the basic number of bets per minute, combined with the progressive jackpot mentality, meaning small amounts of a wager in in, in anticipation of a huge reward. And that's in combination and the fact that they just never shut off 24 hours, seven days a week. You fast forward now to 2023 and where we think about that, we don't categorize those differences today. We don't say one form of gambling is inherently quote more addictive than anywhere else. My opinion though is that We should do more research and look at that. As an example, in California, what we're seeing is the number one form of gambling that's reported every single year in our treatment program since 2009 is always slot machines. So it's never changed. And this is a state that has many other forms of gambling, right? Lottery, horse racing, unregulated sports betting, blackjack, poker, various types of dice games. But every year, it's the same thing, that the number one. So the question then is, does that mean slot machines are the most addicting, or is it just because there's 20,000 slot machines in the state? Well, there's 20,000 know, uh, you know, lottery vendors in the state there as well. So I think there does need to be some work to educate consumers before they start gambling to say that this particular form of gambling you're engaging in may have X level of risk of addiction. But we don't do this for tobacco. We don't do this for alcohol either, right? You know, where you say, is alcohol, wine, or beer? Beer, wine, or hard liquor, is any of those more addicting? Instead, what you have are like regulations on how much alcohol you can put in a drink than legally can be sold. Roundabout, I think absolutely. So I wouldn't say right now inherently that I think any of these current forms of gambling are so addictive that they should be banned or removed. What I will say is that there should be greater attention paid to some of the features that make certain forms of gambling more addictive. Now, we know what those are. And those are, again, number one, if you can get more bets in per minute. Number two, if you can do this 24 hours a day, seven days a week with lots of ease and anonymity. Number three, when you're playing games, again, low-value wagers with a high-value reward. Those tend to be a little bit more potentially addicting. Those are features I would highlight. If we see those things, we should be regulating them with a little bit more um, uh, of a closer eye. Let me borrow another example on the cannabis world, right? Think about the, the strength of cannabis now in 2023 that's available in terms of concentration of THC. Much, much higher, right, compared to the 80s and 90s then you say, well, does that mean something like a THC containing cannabis product that's 70%, 80%? Is that inherently more addictive than one that has four to five? The answer to that is going to be yes. That doesn't mean that person is going to be addicted 100%, but it just means that risk is elevated. So I do think what matters isn't just the game, but it's the concentration to which you have access to the gambling, as well as whatever protections are in place or not. As an example none of these gambling games would be addictive if there's a cap on it where you can only place one bet per month. So if you can imagine a world where you can only place one bet on one sports game per month, well, by definition, it would never become addictive no matter how quote addicting that form of gambling is. So put it all together. It's, it's an area we, we, we don't equate yet with behavioral you know behaviors like we do with substances to say, Hey, this type of gambling game is X more risky than this other. Uh, we definitely need more research. But to me, the thing that really matters is will you be able to place your bets much more frequently than uh, you know, sporadically? There's a reason why we don't see a lot of lottery, quote, uh, p- uh, patience is the lottery drawings, even for the massive, you know, jackpots only occur twice a week. So we don't see people constantly feeding and chasing in one day. You know they may pour a thousand or fifteen hundred dollars into the lottery. but those men and women are fairly rare. It's just not that same repetitive, anonymous instant quality that you get, say from slot machines or things like that.
0: Yeah, I can just tell you on my own history. I was a sports better and bet on horses. You know, I haven't gambled now in 22 years. My last bet was April 13th, 2000. But I remember in the mid 90s, I was in Vegas, and I ended up getting getting ready early. And I went down. You know, everyone was kind of we we're going to go out to dinner. We we're probably going to go to a show. And I was waiting, so I go to the bar. I get me a I, I get a beer, and then I just see video poker. And I said, okay, I'm just going to pass the time. These guys should be down here in about, you know, five, ten minutes. I'm going to play five dollars because, you know, I don't want to utilize, you know, gambling money on things I don't want to gamble on. Right. I said, I have five dollars Pass the time. Drink my beer. All of a sudden, I'm just like almost sucked into the game. Yeah. And the next thing I know, it it takes them about 20 minutes. And now instead of betting five dollars, I'm already in for forty dollars. Right. And then after I got into recovery, there was a guy who used to be, I don't think he worked with the Illinois Council, but he came down, and he gave a talk here in Houston, and he said, like, what you were saying. And the other part of video poker is, is that it's very hypnotic. Right. It brings you in even without you not even knowing it. And because there was no learning curve, mm-hmm. the speed, it was a quick win or loss, all those factors. Is what makes video poker, and I know now in Vegas, they you know they kind of do. There's no longer pulling the lever like you know, like in the old days. You know, so much of it is video poker as well as even video roulette. Right. So many of the games are now pretty much on a screen, so they can either go mobile. And to me, it's just another form. Uh, well, you
1: go of- mobile. It's also a lot less expensive. You don't have to staff it. Right, right. A lot less chance of uh, breaking down or corruption. And uh, what you're highlighting again is that it's gambling uh, forms uh, are about engagement, right? And we all want to be engaged in entertainment. You know, we want to go into a movie and be lost for two, three hours and and be in a uh, a special place, right? That's what's entertainment. Really good inter- entertainment's about. But you're absolutely right. It's also the same line that what draws people then into the addiction because it's that zone of escape, it's that stimulation, it's the firing off of various neurochemicals, even in an instant. And again, if you played that video poker machine, but it only allowed you one bet every three minutes, you would say, oh, this is slow. This is not that interesting. Um, I'm going to go do something else. And I think that's where we always have to look at technology that brings more bets in front of a person that's the risky part combined with whatever they're doing to engage them so they don't log off. That part of it, whether you step away from a machine or log off from your computer or walk away from the table, is what are they doing to keep you and keep your attention sealed? And I think part of the other area is that it's that near-miss phenomenon, right, where, where you're, oh, I, I got three out of four or I was five out of seven. I was very close to a royal flush. Um, Science is telling us that that near-miss sensation is almost as rewarding and more rewarding than actually winning. And I think that's another quality that you look at in the various games of chance and the various forms of gambling that really draws people in. I'm going to just keep going because I'm almost there. The near-miss feels like I'm on a path. I just need to hang on, endure and survive. And so I get that final jackpot, but that's not how gambling works. There is no linear, there's no merit base for the longer you stay in that you're going right. to get more of it.
0: Right. We're going to move on to question two, but the one other thing I'm going to add on when you talked about the lottery, it's no different why the States kind of gave up on the lottery and they had to introduce the pick three, the scratch offs. Cause I remember in 92 here in Texas, we just had the lottery. They had to come up with more games because like you said, Playing the lottery twice a week was not going to generate interest from the public, and the states were just begging for more tax dollars. Right. But let's go into question two. Okay, you know, sports betting. You've noticed, as well as a lot of people have noticed, you know, sports betting has increased about tenfold. It depends on, you know, which state, you know, states like New Jersey and Delaware that have been doing this now for various years compared to the new states or the states that are not doing it. To me, it's exploding exponentially. I heard you on another podcast, you used the word metastasize, which I think is a very powerful word because I think the gambling industry uses words very carefully. And I listened to FanDuel, the CEO of FanDuel. She went on Squawk Box on Friday and she was talking about how they're really going after the young female sports better trying to engage. And they also were saying that now half the bets on most of these sites, whether it's FanDuel, DraftKings, MGM, are happening now after kickoff. That means that they are get they are putting more into live betting. I see there's a big difference if we're doing sports betting just on the game or the total the way pretty much I used to do it. Mm-hmm. Now, with all these prop, they had over 400 prop bets in the Super Bowl. They had endless amounts of live betting. Just like you were talking about previous things, you got to keep them engaged. I find that to be adding to the addictiveness of gambling as it's and being pushed so hardly. And what's your opinion on live betting? You know, every week that goes by there's more and more data there's more
1: and more information and there are newer games to think about um you know we're, we're recording this today a few days after super bowl uh you know 57 and i saw a piece yesterday that at one point there were 50,000 bets being placed i think per per second or something like that and it mm-hmm. was an insanely high amount so we start with the larger question, number one, you know, why are we so interested in sports betting? Well, it's combining three things, you know, American love of sports with money, with technology. When you have all three, you're going to have a massive surge in this new kind of industry. And that's really what it is. Number two, I think what's really critical is that we are having new forms of sports betting emerging all the time. So if you and I were talking 10 years ago and I said the word same game parlay, in-game betting, you and I would be like, I don't know what you're talking about. These, don't, these things don't exist. So we're inventing new forms of gambling and we meaning the world, the industry and whoever puts it out there, but we're not evaluating whether these new forms of gambling are again inherently more risky or should even be offered to the public. Again, if you think about alcohol, Should we have 100 proof drinks sold in grocery stores? The answer to that is, although technology says we can make it, regulations say we cannot, right? There's only X amount of proof you can can make as a manufacturer and legally sell it. That's where I think we're headed because, again, the experience of in-game betting is rapid fire. It's anonymous. It's no different than playing slots. And people will argue, well, Slots is so mesmerizing because why? You're constantly going from one bet to another. You're getting constant resolution. Well, that's what in-game sports betting is. I'm putting my wager on. I'm getting a result within 10 seconds, right? Is it a run? Is it a pass? Um, you know, is it going to be, you know, five yards or less? It's basically we've commoditized sports down into the ability to make it look like slot machines, Instead of three hours. Instead of three hours, you know, sweating $20 over under. So the implications are we don't know what that's going to do to the betting public per se. And we don't know what that does, again, to people who are vulnerable. I'm really stunned at hearing, you know, the industry talk about how same game parlays are about 60 to 70 percent of their business. And for the audience who doesn't know about that, you know, basically I'll pick one game and i'll make five bets for things to happen inside that game and i might put uh, $20 on my five um, five game uh, five you know uh, item parlay if those five things happen within that game my $20 can then turn into 2500 or 3000 so it's a lot like again a slot machine where i'm putting a small amount of a wager in hopes of winning a much bigger reward But the more items I choose under my same game parlay, the more random chances being introduced. But the illusion that a lot of sports better have, which is different than slots, that there's an illusion of much deeper control. I know this team. I know the trends. I know what's going to happen. That's the part that I think is so interesting that we're not talking nearly about. Because most people in sports betting, I think, still don't view it as luck. They view it as I have an inside information. I know a guy who knows a guy, or I've been following this trend, or I follow this person online who's 100% accurate with their picks. So unlike slots, where there are, of course, illusions of control, it's much more obvious with gambling. So I see this in the social media world where I see, you know, young, attractive people, men and women saying, hey, this is, I got five picks. I've been researching this. I guarantee these things are going to be great for you. I see guys putting out spreadsheets. I see very, you know, attractive people talking about, you know, the picks they like. I see, you know, animals, you know, you know, dogs picking which side they like. And people are looking at that. All that is driving interest. It's interesting. It's fun. It's you know, hilarious in some brands, But ultimately, if you're a pessimistic view, you're going to say, oh, my gosh, that's predatory. That's, that's just going to drive addiction. That's just going to make people, like, you know, lose their shirt." My belief is somewhere in the middle. It's like, well, this is what people want. And as a form of entertainment, it's really interesting. It's funny if you like that world. The problem is it perpetuates these false beliefs about gambling. And the biggest false belief is, number one, that you are going to make substantial, life-changing money from betting on sports. Number two, that you have some skill set, some hidden superpower that no one else does that makes you better at betting on certain aspects of sports. So, and then number three is that there's this fear of missing out that I see on sports betters that I don't see with slot machine players. Right. Which is, oh my gosh, I have to get money on this game because if I don't, I will miss out on an opportunity, a really ripe opportunity. um, That sort of thing. you've seen that there as well. You know, again, it's like, for instance, I saw online the other day, someone said, this particular prop, if you don't get in on it, this will never come around again because the sports books made a mistake with this number. So that's generating this fear of missing out, which is absolutely the greatest advertising you can have to get someone to spend money on. Right? It's that same of you know uh, you know Black Friday sales or you know um, if you don't get in on it, you're gonna miss out or the Cyber Monday stuff. That's why we spend so much because we're worried that we're going to miss out on the deal, not because we need more stuff, right? So you combine those three elements, then I think those are the messages I I really encourage people to recognize. You're not going to make substantial life-changing money gambling. You don't have special powers to predict what's going to happen in the future. And you are going to miss out on stuff. And it's how do we engage those three messages? But I don't see any, you know, gambling advertising or even responsible gambling ads focusing on those three messages. Instead, we hear things like, don't bet more than you can afford. I don't know what that really means. Be responsible. Have a friend hold your wallet. I mean, things that make no sense to me because, by definition, if you could do those things, then you
0: wouldn't have a problem.
1: Exactly rambling on, but those are some of my thoughts about sports to think about.
0: No, I look well, first of all, I'll address a few of the things that you kind of said in that answer. First off, the sports books love parlays because they're going to win instead of maybe at a 60-40 a clip, they're going to be winning probably about a 70-75% clip. So they want you to, to actually play more parlays because they know that you will lose more and more times. And I believe there's a lot more parlays is because people are already they're either college age kids that don't have a lot of money. So they're going to bet 10, 20, 50 dollars instead of five, you know, three hundred, five hundred, hoping to make a five teamer so they could then collect a thousand dollars. I think there's those almost inherent in the mentality that there it's going to be a it's a long shot or nothing, but if I lose, it's only $10 or $20, but it adds up if you're doing this a couple times a weekend, you know, throughout a whole year. Right. And then, uh, and so and the thing about gambling when they, and I think it's always the use, you know, saying that this is a form of entertainment, you know, it's like, let's say, let's take alcohol. I mean, most people will say, I'm going to go down to the bar to drink. Most people don't say is I'm going to go drinking is my form of entertainment. They usually say I'm going to just grab a drink. But I think it's I think it's very calculating to use the words this is my entertainment to go gambling instead of just saying I'm going to go gamble. I'm yeah. going to either win money or I'm going to lose money because yeah. that's essentially what you're doing because I think when you put out words and they're very careful they say things like free bets. Right. You know, you cannot I mean free is the the greatest word in advertising. Right. You say uh, word free and people come running, no matter if they want it. They go, I don't even want that, but I'm going to grab this free shirt, this free uh, sample, absolutely. and then the bonus place. That's that's to me, which is the the scary part. Well, you know, the, other
1: one, the no sweat bet, the risk-free bets. I mean, these are all, you know, play on words. And again, one of the things that happened last week, you know, uh, one of our uh, folks in Congress, Representative Tonko, he introduced a bill um, to uh, work on banning some of these gambling advertising. So it's the, f- the first time I've seen a federal response to say, hey, these are too much. Let's really look at the language. Let's regulate these things with some science. And I think that's that's really, really interesting. So we're starting to get there. But you're absolutely right. The language we say is we don't say, uh, I spent 100 bucks this week on um, gambling activities. Versus I spent $100, you know, going to a, a movie and a dinner with my friend last week. You know, it's, it's, the word is spend. You're spending money on the activity of gambling. I'm spending money on the activity of going to watch the Houston Astros play. If you think of that, I'm spending money on gambling, then gambling becomes, it doesn't matter whether I win money or lose money. That's how it stays inside the lane of entertainment. I'm spending money to go to Disneyland. I know I will not leave and return home from Disneyland with more money. This is a problem. We've sold gambling as a means to an end, as a way to sustainably make money. Instead of saying, no, it's a way of getting some dopamine and some adrenaline out. It's a way of passing time. At the end of the day, you may actually get some money back from this activity you do, but for the most part, you're not. And I think those are different ways of advertising that are so different because all the things, the risk-free and the no sweat bet, it implies you're going to get a free shot at a big win. And even if you don't, you can come back and fight again another day. It's the language of video games. It's the, you're getting an extra life, but the implication is that you're not going to just do this once, right? It's very subtle. It's, you're going to do this. And all those risk free bets, it's not your money. It's, quote, the industry's money, but it's not their money. It's just, it's just digital numbers that mean nothing. And I think that's why this, 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 this advertising is so essential to get sharper and better. Imagine if I said, no, uh, no, no sweat first drink is on us. And every college kid, got a coupon to go into a bar and get a shot of liquor, there'd be huge uproar. Or if the cannabis industry said, hey, here's a chance, um, no risk first joint or first dab. You know, it just wouldn't work. Someone would shut it down saying this doesn't make sense. But again, I don't, you know, we can go on all the time on sports, but I think we have a lot of work to do on our language and with um, challenging the way the advertising is. And coming up with a better framing of it to keep it exactly what it's supposed to be. And that's not, you know, you know, an end-all be-all. It's meant to be just a short-term burst of something for entertainment. And you're absolutely right. The targeting, and that's where we see all the last 10 sports betters with gambling disorder I've seen, it's the same story. Like sports, got into sports betting, had an early win somewhere within the first 30 days of their account being open. And that early win generated a sense of mastery. Oh, I'm good at this. Or this could be my way to get a lot of money on a quick basis. And every single one of those clients, I said to them, well, why didn't you just get a job? Why didn't you just get a $20 an hour job and you could have earned the exact same money and it would have taken you longer, but you would have gotten to that same point. And every single one of them said, because it wasn't going to be as much fun. Every single one said, well, why would I want to work 20 hours when I can earn it in an hour? So that mentality is just a human condition. But that mentality of earning money and getting money quickly, that's, I think, an area we we don't talk nearly enough to really educate people and say, listen, listen. If you really are doing this to make money, you're not going to make money. If you really want to make $3,000, you have to do it the old school way, which is working for it and saving it. (laughs) That's just my opinion.
0: Well, you got to. I tell people all the time if it was as easy as flipping a coin, see, I think a lot of people get sucked into it. I'm going to pick one team or the other or one bet or the other. And it's just the same thing as flipping a coin, heads or tails. And I says, if it was a 50-50%, I'd say, okay, do it. But I say, do you think all the hotels on the Strip in Vegas get only bigger and bigger and much more luxurious right. because it's a 50-50? Right. The odds are slanted in the house's favor. They will constantly, I mean, they went from a roulette wheel from one zero to a, they added a double zero to get more odds. Right. They went from a two card deck to a three card deck to then a six card deck. So you can no longer count cards. They're constantly one step ahead of you. I always tell you, don't think that they're in. They're in here to take as much money from each gambler. It's like they said. I mean, the statistics are that every person who lands in Vegas will lose five hundred and eighty dollars. Right. And again, listen. Listen to your term:
1: lose versus spend versus. Right. You know, invest versus whatnot. And I think everyone knows that. Everyone's heard that since they were kids growing up. You know, these ceilings don't build themselves. But everyone persists, and this is just part of the natural human condition people with or without gambling problems that maybe somehow I'm special. Maybe somehow right. I can, I'm the one that can beat those odds. And wouldn't that be amazing? So we all have these natural, it's hope. We all have these natural optimistic views and i think i I always buttress that and i say to people um no you know it's great to dream and that's why the lottery continues to be incredibly successful but you have to realize there's a price for dreaming there's a uh there's a you know there's a cover charge for for having these 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 fantasies and i think that's what's hard people don't want to hear that people want to be able to you know dream and, and and do that naturally but you know we've created a world where you, you have to pay a price of dreams. But anyway, I know you have one more question. That's, well, that's yeah. the
0: thing is, is like it, within the gambling 12 step programs, there's a thing about the dream world of the gambler. Yeah. The compulsive gambler thinks that they are all of a sudden they're going to magically win and get all this money, which they are not. And I think what well, we'll finish up. We're going to go to question three is, is that thing that you said earlier about research so many people think that they can spend so many... I spent so many hours doing research when what you made the point, if I had just put that more that time into my business, I could have made more money. And in the end, it's much more satisfying through hard work and sweat to earn money than it is. The same reason why so many lottery winners go bankrupt after X right. amount of years, because there is no actual connection they don't value the money as much it's like almost like monopoly make-believe money it's really an
1: interesting phenomenon even even i struggle with from time to time think about why is it that you know and i remember i think it was benjamin franklin said you know uh, the only thing sweeter than money earned is like money won and i thought about that in my early years as a physician um and i remember one time uh i i was you know gambling in las vegas and I played maybe for like an hour, and I walked away with a hundred dollars. And I, I, you know, I felt good. You know, like oh, I won, and I had a good time, and I enjoyed talking to the people. And then I had a fellow gambling researcher say, "Hey, you know, for that one hour, you could have seen two patients, and those two patients would have gladly have paid you, say, two hundred dollars to just talk with you. You could have made four hundred dollars." And how would you have felt after that? And I said, "Wow! I, after you know a day in the clinic of seeing patients, I don't feel the same way I feel like when I, you know, walked away from a uh, you know the gambling table. It's a different feeling." I I did say to my friend, "Well, if I got paid immediately, you know, if I actually got cash in my pocket and didn't have to pay taxes on it, and I could walk out of my office, I probably would have that same feeling." So there are all these. Different parts that are attached to it. That's the same thing with gambling. You know, imagine if you were you had won that day, but you couldn't get your winnings for six to eight weeks. How many people would no longer gamble? How many people on you know wouldn't play the games and wouldn't bet because they'd be like, "Well, the whole point is to get money." That's a huge industry breaker, right? Can I, Can you imagine any of these mobile sports betting apps? a slot machine, or let's say you want a progressive in a casino. And they said, you know what, Hugo, Um, you won. Um, We're going to process the taxes and we will uh, deposit into your account six weeks from now. Casinos wouldn't be nearly as popular. So there's a huge element of not just winning, but instantly getting the reward to which you won. That, I think, cannot be underestimated and, and something for responsible gaming practice and, and industry practices is massive. Now, the lottery is different, right? But it's such a massive thing. You know, people are like, yeah, I, I, I want to wait, you know, for a couple, you know, because it's so much money. I don't know how to deal with the thing, which is why scratchers. Same thing. If scratchers were instantly scratched, but you can't get the payout for six to eight weeks, the popularity of scratchers would go down to essentially zero.
0: Right. Right, and that's the same thing as is so I heard this this guy was telling me about he heard in a meeting, you know, like they talk about people being a dope fiend if they're hooked on heroin. And the guy says, you know, gamblers are like these hope fiends. They're hope con- fiends. Yeah. Yes. They're constantly looking for the hope that's just never there. And it also goes back when you say these free bets, the drug dealers, that's why they always give you the first hit of dope. The first hit of dope is always free, just like these bets. And one thing I don't know if you know. MGM was saying that they had a spike in their online betting on Super Bowl, but they don't also tell you is that they had a promotion. If you were a first-time better that you signed up for the app for Super Bowl, your first bet up to $1,000 had insurance that they were going to cover your loss because just as you know and I know and every other compulsive gambler, that if they win early, they're more apt to keep betting and then get sucked in. And I find that very disturbing knowing that they're just preying on people, going, okay, just keep gambling and you know, we're even if you lose, you're okay. Cause then it right. just gives that extra assurance that, hey, there's no risk here. Right. And not even thinking that their brain is already being hijacked. But let me go into question three. So in the gambling cycle, there's the winning phase, the losing phase, the desperation phase, and the hopeless phase. And so as people should know, if you do the same with drugs, the last phase is usually called the crisis phase. For gamblers, because it's hopeless, there is unfortunately higher rates of suicide with gamblers compared to other addicts. Now, With all the mobile phones, the live betting that we've already kind of talked about, all the advertising, all the support from the media, from sports, from churches, the old cycle was about 20 years. That was my cycle of addiction from start to finish about 20 years before I really, you know, you know, stopped gambling. I see things moving at a much faster rate, you know, maybe even three to five with all this. Tell me, what do you see within the cycle of addiction on the quickness of going from start to I, I am really I'm just completely under and I need I need help?
1: So the phenomenon is uh, telescoping. Uh, the idea from the very first time you are exposed to something, uh, how long will it take before you develop problems related to that? Uh, It's been a concern in the gambling field for the last 20 years. You know, people have said that we were seeing this with the slot machines, and they said we're seeing it with female gamblers. Uh, We're not quite sure whether we're going to see it with mobile sports better. But it makes sense, and it makes sense that we would, in part because, again, number one, when you have so much gambling access, when you have so much availability, but the other link on this is when you have so much available financial capital. You can't have a gambling problem unless you have money and access to money. So my concern is that I don't think we're focusing nearly enough on working with financial industries. And I'm talking about things like the payday loans and the online loans. And So many of my patients, when I say to them, where are you getting money to gamble with? They'll say, well, credit cards first, but then when those get exhausted, I'll go to online banks and I can get a loan for $500 or $1,000. And we're talking like, you know, people in college or, you know, in their early 20s. And I can get a loan for $500 or $1,000, payday loans, things like that, within minutes. And I didn't believe that. I said, what do you mean? They're like, Yeah, I can, you know, in the middle of the night, if I'm wanting to gamble and there's something, I can go online, apply for a loan. And within minutes, my checking account or my PayPal or my Venmo is filled up. I'm like, what? You know, and it's a world that for those like myself, I don't take out loans like that, so I don't know. We've created that new world. And when you have more access to financial capital, that's what drives a lot of risk in my mind. That's where I'm concerned about if there's ever collaboration between, let's say, mobile sports betting and a financial lender. That's where I think we're going to see potentially a lot of telescopes. So right now, if I lose my, quote, risk-free or sweat-free bet, it's not money. It's just virtual money. And then I have to to then deposit my own. But depositing money is just too easy. So imagine, you know, in the 80s, you know, you had to, like, drive to the casino. You had to, like, go to the bank. You had to pull money out. You had to meet the bookie in the grocery parking lot. It was a lot of work. Here, you know, I can Venmo, PayPal, Cash App, you know, Zell, and as we go more and more cashless we're just going to have that ease so i think that's the concern you know forms of gambling where you have lots of access to it you have lots of different games combined with just too easy access to capital and i don't think we're spending enough time focusing on the money part the access to money because yes you know a lot of gamblers will borrow money and so i say, hey here you go can you uh venmo me uh 500 bucks um uh, uh, I'm a little short. I'll get it back to you. That's going to take you five seconds. You know, whereas in the past, I got to go over there. I got to convince you. I got to like wine and dine you to get, you know, the money. So sure. I think that all that, that's a huge element. And yes, that's why the answer would be there is likelihood that some of the onset of problems could happen sooner rather than later. But there's also the likelihood, and this is the hope and optimistic view I have, that the Access to help could also be much sooner. And that's really the message I want to leave is that even though you may develop problems online, you can also get help online. And that's where, you know, things like your podcast, things like uh, Kindbridge Behavioral Health, which is a telehealth company for online gambling and online gaming, things like our California treatment program, which is telehealth, which means you never have to leave your home to access high quality treatment for gambling and gaming disorders. I think that's the premise. So just because we might have more problems sooner, that doesn't mean we can't get more treatment sooner. And I think that's the, the counter argument that's really important. The problem is in my experience is by the time people enter treatment, almost invariably all their severity of gambling disorder is very, very severe. So the question, and we don't have an answer to it, how do we get that person who is in the early phase doesn't matter how long it took them to get into that early phase of gambling disorder, whether it took them a year or 10 years, but if they're starting to have beginning signs of gambling trouble, how do we get them in front of professional help rather than waiting until things are in crisis? You know, and this is where I'd ask you, you know, you, you have a lot of experience in this, those first couple of months when you're in the early phase, what would have taken for you to go seek help or be willing to go talk to a stranger about your own gambling activity.
0: Well, for me is is you know my journey is well documented. You know, I stopped drinking May 24th of 97. And you know, I had a family that never believed in therapy. We never talked about emotions. So my emotional intelligence was very limited and low. So I just decided, you know, because I had a weekend of getting drunk, losing money, being, you know, a girlfriend didn't want me to come over, rejected from sex, all this. I went to my first 12-step meeting and it took me then after a year and a half by going to some meetings, reading literature, I went to go see a therapist, even though, and I tell my family would still thought that it was not necessary. I just needed to pray more. And then another year and a half later, and then I spent a year and a half just lying to my therapist saying that, no, I stopped gambling, even though I was still gambling. And he probably knew, but he didn't press me on it. Mm -hmm. Then about another year and a half is when I really started to work. I'm a big believer in 12 step literature or 12 meetings, the literature, but I'm also a big believer in therapy. I'm a big believer in, you know, doing those other things, those kind of like healthy outlooks. You know, I was always an athlete. And, you know, you know, get back, you know, eating right, you know, doing all those things that really help with your kind of like your brain chemistry. But that kind of leads into me to me is is like, how do we get people earlier is as we see just the spikes of so many kids now with high anxiety, yeah. so many kids now with depression. And, you know, they still are like with so many addicts that I've known, you know, there's always a story of some type of trauma, whether it's abuse could be physical sexual but it, more likely it's there's a lot of verbal abuse or there's a lot of neglect there's a lot of loneliness and i would be like trying to ask you is is how uh, you know other ways to almost interject emotional intelligence courses in school curriculums we've seen the evidence in some cities when they start the day off with daily meditation that that lowers so much anxiety so much physical fighting within the schools they just i just saw a story about one in new jersey but i had seen one about three years ago in san francisco there's so many little things that could be done that could really enforce and just uplift us so we can just live joyful right
1: right there's no doubt and you know the name of your podcast you know uh, harkens to that you know your one percent recovery also there as well but it's inherent on all of us to figure out how do we embed just these small changes, you know, uh, who has the power to do it, who is willing to speak for change and things like that. And, and I think what I say to a lot of folks in recovery is this, is that, you know, absolutely, it, it, you know, two minutes a day, five minutes a day, seven minutes a day, you know, if you just start making those very small changes. Because recovery, as you know, it's just overwhelming. It's like, Where do I even start? you know, how do I reverse all that? Right. You know, well, that's and, why I try they, to make they, it
0: easy. Yeah, right. I Absolutely. agree. That's why I try to make it simplified. Like I tell people to me, step one is we believe the lie. Step two is we need help. And step three is we're no longer alone. If we could really tell people that the, the addictions just lie to you, will constantly make you think that you're going to feel better. Yeah, i not. Yeah. And then the other thing is is we all need help. I constantly tell people all the time, you can't solve life on your own. We need help whether it's financial, relationship, your job, emotions, we or spiritual. We all need help. We need to seek coaches, teachers, uh courses, Mental all that power. stuff. And then realize that life's meant to be with the people that you consider family or your group or, you know, your your neighborhood your your buddies and so let me finish with this any last words you want to push uh i know we were talking about march being problem gambling month and anything else that's going on at ucla or in the state of california yeah you know
1: if anyone's interested take a look at our website uclagamblingprogram.org we oftentimes list uh our, our more recent work uh research papers uh videos you know we have some educational things there Uh, We do have in California through 1-800-GAMBLER, anyone who lives in California, a no-cost treatment for a gambling disorder as well as affected individuals. Uh, For those listening out of state, we do have a brand new, just opened this month, uh, Westside Gambling Treatment Program, which is a telehealth program specifically for sports bettors and financial traders with gambling disorders. So, that's, that's uh, coming out there. Uh, we're doing a lot of interesting work on trying to make those synergies and connections between gambling recovery and physical health and wellness. So thanks so much for your uh, your time, uh, Hugo, for having me on. And I look forward to meeting you in person uh, one of these days.
0: Exactly. And just so everybody knows, everything that Dr. Fong just said is going to be in the show notes, as well as connections to the 90-day, 12-steps road to freedom. So there's a lot of information sources out there. Utilize them. And with that, we are going to conclude this episode of the 1% in Recovery.